0: to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciololo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to this show, who are Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, Tales from Beyond Belief in an Ordinary Person's Extraordinary Journey into the Unknown, Joseph Sinkovic, author of How to Kiss the Universe, An inspirational, spiritual, and metaphysical narrative about human origin, essence, and destiny. And also, Ms. Aida, author, psychic, spellcaster, and root worker, and witch. And you can find her at MsAida.com, M-I-S-S-A-I-D-A.com. And this episode is being sponsored by Ginger Glasser. And you can find Ginger at tarotbyginger.com, and she is a tarot reader, evidential medium, and healer, and you can find her at tarotbyginger.com. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Greg Lawrence, and he is a psychedelic integration coach. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. <clears throat> maybe I should have dropped some LSD before this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it, but, you know, to each his own. <laughs> that's one of the funny things, you know, like, like, I think, you know, I was watching something yesterday about how psychedelics sort of got a, almost like a bad rap from the 60s. You know, like, like this when it sort of comes into everybody's purview, like, it, you know, can't you mainstream, but at the same time, too, it kind of made it. It took away the spiritual aspects of it and just made it into like a party thing. Do you think that's what really happened?
1: As far as what uh, led to the blow up in the, in the 60s and the early 70s?
0: Yeah, do you think like like psychedelics prior to the 60s, you know, were, were, were still sort of, you know, you know, the focus was healing, plant medicine, shamanism and things like that. And then in the 60s, you know, the way they were, being used then sort of gave psychedelics a bad rap?
1: Well, I think that's possible. I think ultimately the reason that uh, Richard Nixon made them illegal was because people were burning their draft cards and walking off the killing fields in Vietnam. You know, you take a psychedelic <laughs> and the next day someone's saying, why am I in another country killing people? This just makes no sense. It's the kind of awakening you might have from a psychedelic experience. People were burning draft cards and... We are in a consumerist capitalist society and in that kind of society, you have to have an army that will go and kill people for you. (laughs) And those people were not in in the best supply back in the 60s when psychedelics came around. I think that Timothy Leary has been vilified. Um, Mm -hmm. I think he actually was a a genius, but uh, he was made a scapegoat even by people like uh, Michael Pollan. You know, mm. I don't think he looked very deeply into what was really going on. He just listened to some other people. But I think that psychedelics threatened the fabric of the society that we're in, and they had to be shut down. Now, they were being used in a context that is different than that they've been used in in history, I believe, because most places it was some sort of uh, plant medicine or ritual, some sort of shaman- shamanic healing, some sort of a group exercise, initiations, rites of passage. And then you have people who are just dropping ass and listening to music. Yeah. Personally. I don't like to put shoulds around psychedelic use. So if someone wants to use psychedelics to enjoy food or music or a movie or someone's body or whatever might be happening, as long as they're not hurting anybody else, I'm fine with that. Interesting. But, uh, yeah, they did lose some of the context that they've had throughout history, I think.
0: So how, how, how do you work with psychedelics? And what is this integration therapy? How, like, how does it work? Like, what, what is it you're trying to do? With the psychedelics,
1: well, I should probably explain how I got here, yeah, um, that will provide some context mm-hmm. so I used psychedelics in my late teens through my late twenties, and uh just about any other substance I could put in my body to alter myself <laughs> me too, <laughs> Unfortunately, in my late twenties, I got mixed up with hard drugs, and my life spiraled out of control. I was living in a place that was not so good, I had no prospects for employment. Uh, When I moved in there, I had a car, and to this day, I can't tell you what happened to that car. I don't know if I traded it for drugs, gave it away. Someone borrowed it, never brought it back, stole it, but suddenly I didn't have a car. Mm -hmm. and um, I don't know what was going to happen to me. Fortunately, I was pulled out of that physical environment by some people, and I moved away. I cut ties with everybody I knew, and I quit using all substances, cold turkey, except for cannabis, which I abused for about 20 years, smoking it constantly. Trying not to feel my feelings, which is what I was doing as an addict. Mm-hmm. And then 10 years ago, I had a major upset in my life. It was sort of turned upside down. And in the middle of that, I realized that I had a lot of childhood trauma that hadn't even been peaked at, much less acknowledged or worked through in any way. So I was kind of in distress. Um, I started seeing a therapist. I started seeing a coach. At the time, I smoked cigarettes, and I was trying to quit. My coach said, oh, I read some study that says psilocybin helps with uh, smoking cessation. I thought, well, I know about mushrooms, so I went and I found some mushrooms, and I took them. I didn't quit smoking that night, but I did see the events of my life and my part and other people's parts and the patterns and what had led me to addiction and all kinds of insights that I hadn't previously had. And the next day, I thought, well, now that I've seen that, everything's going to be different. And in about one or two weeks, everything was the same. Rinse, repeat. I keep having epiphanies, realizations, and insights, but my life's not changing. I started doing some research and found out about this thing called integration, which I had never heard of as far as psychedelics. And it was taking the insights that you got or any lessons or anything you got from a psychedelic experience and trying to make those a part of your everyday life. And I realized that I was doing the same things I had always done. Literally the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing, expecting a different result, because I had seen something from my past. Well, my patterns were the same. If you have the same inputs, you're going to have the same outputs. So I had to start making changes in my life in terms of habits, relationships, boundaries, all kinds of things, little by little. And doing that, I eventually went from being a very angry and confused person to someone who has a lot more peace of mind now. I mean, 10 years ago, I would have no business counseling anybody about anything. But through the intentional use of psychedelics, through therapy, through coaching, a lot of work on myself, um, I've come to a place where I'm much happier.
0: Wow. So, so what was different? Like that, that time that you, you know, like from when you started using, you know, like mushrooms and psychedelics intentionally in how you were using them, you know, when you were like a teenager, like how did that change?
1: Well, this is something I see all the time because um, I have a lot of people who come to me. So as an integration coach, I work with people before and or after a psychedelic experience. Doesn't mean I'm a facilitator, give anybody illegal substances, but I help them prepare and then integrate afterwards. A lot of people who come to me, I mean, there's a joke I make sometimes. I don't know how many times I've heard the phrase, I used mushrooms in college. A lot Mm -hmm. of people come to, I facilitate integration circles. People come for the first time they're interested and they say, I haven't used psychedelics for 30 years. I did mushrooms in college.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So a lot of people have experience with uh, psychedelics recreationally, but that's when they were looking out. The difference is when you become inward looking, when you become introspective, when you're trying to heal your psychology, that's where the medicine goes. It follows your intention. When your intention is to have a good time at the party and go out and uh, raise hell, whatever you're doing, you know. It'll go along for the ride. As soon as you say, why am I not feel good? What's going on? I don't understand this thing from my childhood. That's where it'll go next time. That's what happened to me. I expected to have the same experience I'd always had, and I was shocked to find out that wasn't the experience I had at all. That's because I was on an inward quest, so they aided in that quest.
0: Does that have anything to do with like set and setting? Um, it has more to do with intention. Mm-hmm. So...
1: Set and setting are very important. Set is your mental set, so I would I would say yes. The set part is your mental state. Yeah. So yeah, my mental state is what's going on in my life and how can I improve? Setting is your physical setting, where you happen to be, who's around you, what your surroundings are like. But intention is always also very important. You know, um, it's a very good idea if you're going to work with these substances, intent. Uh, you know, um, in order to do some kind of healing, that you have an intention a basic idea of what you're trying to get or what you want. Mm -hmm. Now, there's no guarantee you're going to get that from the experience. You know, sometimes I want to go here, but first I have to go here, 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 here. It will usually take you on that path somewhere. But intention is also a very big part of the experience and in a way helps. I won't say direct it because you can't direct this experience and it's
0: almost never what you thought it would be. Mm -hmm. Two things I'm thinking about is like one is, you know, like, like what is like how does it work you know like 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 an example of it and you know like you know how how and then the other part of me is like like so I, I know you can give me an example of how it works which you know I'd like to hear but I'm also curious too is like how the, how does it like does it medically change somehow like the neural pathways in the brain well there's a lot
1: of uh, hype and a lot of misinformation about how psychedelics rewire your brain. Now, sometimes people will have a profound experience when they come out. They are changed in some way. Some people will make their bed every day when they did not before. Some people will now set healthier boundaries. But it's far more often that someone will come out and keep repeating the patterns they've repeated that is getting them what they don't want in their life. Mm -hmm. Now, psychedelics do provide a high-level neuroplasticity. Certain psychedelics, LSD, psilocybin, DMT, mescaline, all of those... um, 5-MeO-DMT, all of those will provide a high level of neuroplasticity, which means a chemical environment that's very conducive to making new habits, patterns, new neural pathways. But a new neural pathway is generally something different that happens that didn't before, so I'm right-handed. Right. If I want a new neural pathway, if I put this in my left hand and try to write, now there's a connection sparking that wasn't there before. My brain's used to doing this. If I'm saying I need wait, I need to do an A, then a B, my brain starts looking for something different and it fires a new neural pathway. So In psychedelic integration, we tell people often that one of the most important things you can do is to recognize when you're falling into old habit habit or pattern, way of being or thinking, and choosing to respond or react differently, to interrupt that pattern. But psychedelics don't automatically rewire your brain and make you into a different person. People come to me all all the time asking, how many times do I have to take mushroom before I'm, I'm not depressed? there's usually something that has to be done in addition to taking the psychedelic. It's the work that you do afterwards that's going to get you the most gain from psychedelics if you're looking for some sort of gain. Hmm.
0: So let's say I have, as an example, say I have an issue that I want to work with. Like say I have a bad temper. How can I, what would I need to do in experience in order to um, solve that problem through the use of psychedelics?
1: Well... I would like to point out that a lot of people are uh, interested because they hear that psychedelics are being used to treat, you know, used for smoking cessation, alcoholism, people who have terminal diseases, depression, PTSD. But what's often missed is all of those clinical studies and trials that you read about have a significant therapeutic component before and after the experience. Mm -hmm. So someone will have a few therapy sessions, psychedelic experience some therapy sessions to work through whatever issues that are coming up for them. You know, a a good friend of mine was actually in the MAPS trial. So a lot of people have heard of the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. They are in Phase 3 studies right now of using MDMA to treat people with treatment-resistant PTSD, primarily Mm -hmm. veterans and first responders, and having phenomenal results, probably by next year or the year after MDMA treatment for PTSD will be a prescribable treatment in the United States. United States already let them go to phase three. So I have a friend who was actually in the MAP studies. They had a particular one for um, anxiety due to a life-threatening condition, which he has. So he went in, he had some therapy, a session, therapy, session, therapy. Then they said, You were in the placebo group. So since it is a very sensitive condition that he has, they said, now we're going to give you the regular treatment because in some clinical trials, if you get the placebo, they just say bye.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I have people who come to me asking about that. But um, So they gave him the regular treatment. So then he did therapy, treatment, therapy, treatment, therapy. And he said, it's the best thing that could happen to me because I got twice as much therapy, and that saved my life. So, you know, these things are all called psilocybin-assisted therapy, MDMA-assisted therapy. There are... They're a support for the therapeutic process. So someone with a lot of anger is probably going to have to work through whatever it is that's causing that anger Mm -hmm. and also going to have to realize that they have a response or reaction that's locked into their bodies, probably after decades of being an angry person. I know this was my experience and that causes you to react unconsciously without thinking,
0: Yeah,
1: not easy to undo that. You don't undo that just by knowing where it came from. Sometimes people say if you know where your trauma came from, that cures it. No, it definitely well, doesn't. No. It's in your body, you yeah. know, it's muscle memory. Trauma's in there, and your brain knows to respond in a particular way to particular circumstances or situations in your life. So that has to be worked through as well. So the answer to your question is it's different for every person, but it's probably going to require a lot of work outside the psychedelic experience mm-hmm. afterwards to work through the issues that cause that anger.
0: So, so for example, I guess you we, somebody would come to you with that issue to do some, some coaching sessions with you prior to use to the psychedelic, take the psychedelic, and then do sessions afterwards. What is the difference between the sessions before and the sessions after? What changes?
1: The sessions before are generally, so for me, for example, um, the sessions before are a combination of what are you presenting with, what's going on with you, and what happened in your life. Now, most people know what that intersection is. This happened to me when I was a kid, so this is how I feel now. This is what's going on with me. I have anxiety. I have depression. Um, I snap easily at my partner. Most people realize those are patterns that come from things that happened in their history. But we go over that because talking about it might help it help to till the ground because that may come up in, in a journey might actually clear some of it away because a lot of times you can be in therapy for five or six years dealing with five or six very valid issues, but not get to this one. Takes a long time sometimes. Sometimes some of this can be cleared away so the medicine can go deeper. But we also work very hard on preparing someone for the experience. So, for example, it is not uncommon for someone to become emotionally very uncomfortable during a psychedelic experience if they have trauma in the past. And that can be trauma with a small T or with a capital T. We all have things in our past that were very uh, painful to us. Usually when we were children, but throughout our lives. Those are incomplete experiences sort of stuck in us. They want to be felt. And the only way they can be completed is for us to feel these very difficult feelings that we avoided at one time. And there's also a mechanism inside of us when we have a very painful experience when we're young that steps in and says, don't worry. I'm just going to make sure you don't come over here and feel this anymore because this was really hard for you. You know, our brains are ingenious at coming up with adaptive strategies for traumatic events to happen in our lives that are probably saving us in the moment, but they keep repeating it over and over. So now I'm an adult and it's making me react the same way. And not only does it not help, it's in my way. So um, sometimes those difficult emotions have to come up and be felt. A lot of people don't understand that and they struggle against it, resist it. The best thing you can possibly do if you are upset or frightened during a psychedelic experience is just let go and feel that as fully as possible. Wow. And sometimes that will manifest as an actual emotion, and sometimes it will manifest as some sort of situation. People will be afraid that they're going to die. That's not uncommon. Your brain will say, you're going to die if you come over here or feel this. You took too much. You're going to go crazy. You're going to be stuck. You're going to fall off a cliff. You're going to you're going over a waterfall, onto some rocks. It'll present you with all kinds of situations that... Um, require you to let go and fall into that experience. Hmm. So a lot of the work that we do beforehand is preparing people for the experience, what they may or may not do if a certain thing happens in order for them to get the most out of the experience.
0: So almost like you're, you're preparing people for a bad trip.
1: Uh, you know, harm reduction calls for us to let people know that a bad trip is a possibility and i do use the term bad trip because it is quite true that even a bad trip can turn into a very valuable experience if it's contextualized that doesn't mean it wasn't bad at the time you know you're talking about some of the most difficult experiences that people have had in their lives and they may have to experience those again so that's not going to be good that doesn't mean it's something that shouldn't have happened because in all the clinical trials they advise people to lean into the fear if it comes because That's really one of the best things you can possibly do. It's extremely healing. But yes, we are preparing for people for the possibility of a bad trip. And sometimes it's nothing like that. Sometimes, you know, psychedelics work in very novel and unusual ways. Um, Because of the fact that we all have defenses built up against words, you can tell me I deserve love, but if I don't believe it because of events from my past, I don't hear that. It doesn't get in. It doesn't work to just tell me what my problem is or what I need to do. My brain's going to filter that out and tell me, you don't understand what's going on. So psychedelics don't just hold up a sign saying you're worthy of love. Sometimes they use metaphor, story, they dramatize something. They'll put us through an experience like falling off a cliff or something. Um, They may play games or simulations with us. So. It's not always an unpleasant experience. It transforms us. sometimes it's a very unusual experience, and sometimes we don't even remember what happened. We just feel
0: different afterwards. Mm. Are there any like like common things that people experience during um when they're tripping or having a psychic dark experience that you know kind of like Carl Jung's archetypes where you know people experience similar things.
1: Well, it's usually different for every person, every time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, some of the most common things are almost everyone cries during a profound psychedelic experience because we all have tears built up. You know, people may have uh, memories of themselves or loved ones, feel compassion for themselves or others. They may develop some understanding of a situation or circumstance in their life. It is not uncommon for people to have the kind of realizations that many people only get as regrets on their deathbeds. This is something I make sure to tell people because this gives you the opportunity to do something about it before that time comes. So there are some things that happen rather commonly across a spectrum, but I wouldn't say that everyone experiences these things common because people have a wide variety of reactions, responses, and experiences when they use these substances.
0: Are any particular substances better for certain conditions?
1: Well, um... Out of all those, I would say that MDMA appears to be very effective for helping people treat people with PTSD or serious trauma. So I view that as a substance that's good for It's an empathogen and engenders empathy in people. It's a heart-opening medication. So there are people who have never had the opportunity, the freedom, or the safety to open their hearts. MDMA can help them with that. As I mentioned, it's being used to treat people with treatment-resistant PTSD, so... Um, when a traumatic event or life-threatening event happens in someone's lives, it often gets scrambled in our brains in such a way that most events go into our brains and they're passed to an area where it's contextualized so that I can uh, have a narrative around it. You ask me what happened, I say, oh, I was five years old, this thing happened, it scared the shit out of me. Mm -hmm. When something is life-threatening, sometimes it doesn't get passed to that area of the brain. So there's no way to relate the experience to you dispassionately. The only way I can remember it, recall it, or relate it to someone, is to re-experience it. This is is what PTSD is like. If I try to remember the event, I'm experiencing it again. So it can take years to get people to the point where they can just talk about something that happened in a place like in a war. Sometimes they never get to that place. For some reason, because MDMA lowers the fight-or-flight response, it acts on the amygdala, it gives you the ability to see that that's a thing that happened over here, and I'm over here now, and I'm safe. It's not going on now, and people can experience that for the first time, sometimes with MDMA. Now, after that, there's a lot of similarity between uh, most serotonergic psychedelics, psilocybin, you know, magic mushrooms, LSD, DMT, mescaline. Um, there are psychedelics like ayahuasca, which most people heard out, a combination of two plants that originated from South America. It's used ceremonially. There are some short-acting psychedelics like an NDMT or 5-MeO-DMT that last 15 to 30 minutes and are extremely intense. But of the ones that last a certain amount of period, certain amount of time, there are different body loads, meaning how much I feel this. You know, in ayahuasca, people will often purge, meaning they vomit. Um, that's not unusual with things like peyote or mescaline either sometimes. Um, that'll happen with people on mushrooms. But although they all have a sort of a different flavor to them, to me, psychedelic mushrooms feel a little bit more earthy and grounded of the earth, and LSD feels a little bit more of the spiritual plane. But ultimately, they're all a molecule that takes you to a very similar place where you can see things in a way that you couldn't see them before you took the substance.
0: And also, I think, when, when I meet people who've done psychedelics and people who haven't, I think people who have done psychedelics... Have a broader view of reality, which makes you think a little bit more outside the box, more open to new ideas and suggestions.
1: Well, there's uh, one of the common uh, psychological models that um, therapists work with, people doing psychedelics, is um, psychological flexibility. Mm -hmm. Consider the possibility that this might not be the only thing there is or that you're wrong or this this may be something that could happen as well. Um, psychedelics do unmoor you a bit from reality, which we could all use some of. This is the reason that people with psychosis or schizophrenia shouldn't do psychedelics. They need, they don't need to be tether, untethered from reality more than they are already. But most people could use a little bit of being untethered from reality and seeing things in a different way. And there's something about that experience that definitely has the possibility of making you see things from a broader perspective, but there are a lot of close minded people who, uh, psychedelics as well. And you hear a lot of memes about everyone should do ayahuasca or, you know, cops need to take LSD, but, you know, there are uh, racists and white supremacists who take psychedelics and have their own worldview strengthened. So um, they're not a cure-all for psychological poison. I mean, Charles Manson used LSD to manipulate people.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess, it, like, do, do, is that something? that Do psychedelics make people more suggestible?
1: There is definitely, there's actually a study that came out not long ago from, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the uh, people who did that study. A study came out uh, with some concerns about the flexibility and suggestibility um, that happens as a result of psychedelic use. This had to do with the smoking cessation. Uh, study, Mm -hmm. where people were given information about how to become someone who is not the kind of person who smokes, let's say. And a lot of the language they used after their experience mirrored the preparation material that they were given beforehand. Mm -hmm. So there is a a very close look being taken right now at the suggestibility of people who consume psychedelics and what sort of ethics need to be in place to guard against that.
2: Mm.
0: So they could potentially be used to brainwash people. Yeah, the CIA had
1: an operation called MK Ultra yeah. in the seventies, I believe, where they were trying to use uh, psychedelics to manipulate people.
2: Hmm.
1: Trying to use them to torture people. They're trying to use them as a form of mind control. Um, Fortunately, slash, unfortunately, they're very unpredictable substances. So, <laughs> there's no guarantee what you're going
0: to get from someone when you're doing that. Right. Um. So once a person has the experience, like what things when you're talking to a person afterwards, like what things are you asking them to look for, look back on in their experience that's going to help them heal in the future?
1: Well, it's it's not so much that the thing they're looking at is going to help them heal. It is part of the healing, but Mm -hmm. psychedelics often are just a sort of a diagnostic tool that show us what the problem is. And then it's up to us to work on that in the aftermath. And in integration, we try not to direct people. You know, There's no interpretation like a snake means this or a pillow means that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe that's true. People have very subjective experiences. However, a lot of things that happen to people are, uh, things are often a mirror of what's going on in their life and what's happening with them right now. Like I said, there's often a story or metaphor in there that someone can pick something up from. So it's different for every person and sometimes it's determined the, the trajectory of an experience might be determined by something that happened two minutes before the substance took effect. It could be by something that happened 20 years before. But we try to find out what is in that. This is a reason we talk to people about their personal history beforehand because that gives us an idea of what might be happening afterwards when they relate something about the experience. There might be a connection there that they're not aware of. We try to help them get that connection themselves.
2: Mm.
1: But that's just leads to probably my taking some action to do something differently than I'm doing now.
0: How about people who have spiritual experiences or or come into it looking for spiritual experiences? like A lot of my guests have told me, you know, during psychedelics experiences, they've had, you know, interactions with with other beings from other dimensions or, 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 you know, Merged with God and, and things like that. And then they come back in completely transformed. They don't do any work. They just have this experience, the meet God or some other type of being. And when it ends, they're fine.
1: Well, I guess it depends on what was happening with them beforehand.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, a spiritual experience can definitely uh, give you a sense of knowing or feeling that there's something beyond this reality or something that's underneath everything. And that takes many different forms with people too, you know, a substance like 5-MeO-DMT um, at certain levels will produce instantaneous ego death, meaning the part of my brain in which Greg resides just shuts off for a while. And I have no conception of the fact that I am a person separate from anything else. I just feel my presence as energy and energy is part of everything. Meaning everything, including what you might call God and the universe, continuity. The thing that's always been and always will be, whatever people want to call it. So, having that experience can certainly uh, shift you internally. It doesn't always take care of the kind of things that people are come uh, coming to psychedelics looking for. That does happen. It's just that I try to caution people. In the same way, I caution people that they might have an unpleasant experience. I try to caution them that psychedelics do not necessarily change or heal people per se. Mm-hmm. Often, that's work that needs to be done before and or after as well. But there's no doubt that a mystical experience, religious experience, spiritual experience, whatever you call it, can be life-changing for people.
0: Do you think those experiences are real? Or is it just something that people experience because the chemicals in their brains are acting differently?
1: You know, when someone encounters a very strange being on another plane, I don't know how real that is, you know, in another dimension. Um, I can't verify how real that is, but I will say that one of the things that we'll find happening um, when we work with psychedelics sometimes is we'll discover that things that we thought we knew are not actually things that we knew. They are things that were told to us, that we heard, that we believed for some reason, but we have no firsthand knowledge of it. They might be part of my ancestry. They might be part of some spiritual or religious discipline that I take part in. It might just be something that my parents thought. But suddenly I realized that this thing that I knew isn't something that I know. But sometimes I'll also get a felt sense of something that I know. It's in my body. It's like when you love someone. You don't sit back and analyze and say, well, here's the things I do and don't do. So yes, apparently I'm in love. Boom. You feel it. It's there. You know it. Well, Having that sense of something beyond here is something that I personally know from experience. And it's not something you can take away from people. What that thing is, is open to interpretation. But the fact that there's something underlying everything that is, that everything comes from something, and that that something is not something that's in time, that's always been here and always will be, to me that's not a question. To me that's beyond question. Mm
0: How about repressed memories when people, you know, a lot of people will spend lifetimes, an entire lifetime in therapy, trying to get to the bottom of something. And, you know, they'll say it's because they don't remember the trauma. The trauma is blocked. Does a psychedelic unblock those type of traumas? It can. It can give you access to those memories.
1: But um, that's another reason why it's a good idea to have support in the aftermath Because having those recovered memories can be very hard for somebody. But it's possible for someone to, um, I should say when I'm talking about this, some of these things happen during the experience and some of them happen after the experience. Mm -hmm. You know, people are still working with the medicine for hours, days, weeks or even months afterwards. So sometimes those memories will be turned will uh, turn up in the aftermath of an experience when people might be a little uncomfortable adjusting to some energy that's just come up or something that's new or that they don't understand working through old emotions energies memories um that have come up for them but psychedelics can certainly help you recover uh, memories but again that's not um assured you know i can't take mushrooms and say now i'm going to recover some memories that i can't remember right now Mm -hmm. it's just not guaranteed to happen
0: How about sitters? I mean, there's places now, there's opening up where, you know, people go in, they'll do something similar to what you're talking about, but during the psychedelic experience, they'll have a sitter there as well. Do you recommend that people have that? When people first start working with these substances, I think it's a
1: very good idea to have someone there with you just to make sure that you're okay. Not a guide, not someone to tell you what to do or where to go, but just someone in case you need a hand. If you need a hand to hold, literally, for someone to hold on to you or someone to tell you that you're okay, um, someone to help you to the bathroom, whatever it might be, um, it's a good idea until you have your uh, sea legs and you know how these substances are going to affect you kind of consistently to have someone there with you. So when people contact me and they say, should I have a sitter? If they're not experienced... Always think it's a good idea to have a sitter there with you. Mm-hmm. That sitter should be someone who doesn't insert themselves into your experience and sort of be over here just in case you need them, not the focus of your experience. And ideally, it will not be someone who you have someone some sort of emotional, personal, romantic entanglement with because that will have an uh, that will influence your experience. You know, if you have some baggage with someone, well, I mean, I just used to tell people like. I learned when I was a kid doing psychedelics, like if someone annoyed me, do not do psychedelics with that person because they will really annoy you during the experience. So those things come up. I'll tell you a, a very strange experience one guy had. Um, he contacted me. He was like uh, 24, 25. He lived in the Midwest. And he had grown up in a small town. And he was like, he'd been there since he was two. He had all the same friends all of his life. He knew everybody, he was handsome, popular, athletic, got good grades. If you moved to that town, you wanted to be able to meet that guy like he, was, he was one of the people you wanted, one of the most popular people there. Now he wanted to go on a field of work. He wanted to learn kinesthe- kinesthesiology. There was a state college that didn't really have a good program for that. His friends who did go to college because many of them just out of school started working in their, in their, in their uh, parents' business or farms. But the ones who did go to college went to state college. He went out of state to attend this program. And about a week after getting there realized, I have no idea how to make friends, how to approach people, how to meet women. I've never had to do that. He was like super lonely. He didn't have a tribe there and used to people coming to him. Now he has to learn how to mix, how to blend in. So I started getting kind of panicky. Then I met this really cool guy in class, hung out with him for a little bit. He said, Hey, you should meet my two friends introduces him to these two guys. And before you know it, this guy and these three guys are hanging out regular. He says, it's great. They introduce me to all their friends. They joke around with me. And then one day they say, hey, we're going to go to the uh, forest and do mushrooms tomorrow. You in?" He said, I've done mushrooms before. I said, yeah. So they go to the forest, they do mushrooms. And after about a half an hour, he starts feeling a little uneasy. Then he feels uneasier. And then he feels really, really anxious. And he realizes, oh my God, these are terrible people. These guys are like borderline racist, misogynist, and they're not joking around with me. They're making fun of me. They're treating me like some hick from the sticks, and they're sort of poking fun of me when they introduce me to people, and I have no idea why I'm around them. He stuck out that experience with them and then cut ties with them, but this guy was so desperate to connect with people that he was overlooking some very obvious flaws in these people that he wanted nothing to do with and didn't see them until this thing came in and showed it to him. So... This guy is actually really anxious under the surface all the time. And until he takes these mushrooms, he doesn't know why. He thinks it's him. Then he realizes he's hanging around with some pretty awful people. Hmm. This wow. is the kind of thing that can come up during a psychedelic experience. So back to the issue of a sitter. If you have some baggage with someone that's not been resolved, there's a chance that will come up and influence your
0: experience. Wow. That's wild. I've never heard a story like that before. Yeah, I know. but I can see how that would happen. I, I, I can see how. And and again, I, I, I always put it this because because of my own experience with psychedelics For me, has always been like sort of like stepping outside of myself, mm-hmm. and getting a third party perspective on my own life and my own feelings, my own thoughts. It's like outside watching me rather than. When I'm inside of myself and in my ego, I can't see it because I'm I'm it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. 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 Um, are there any drugs or psychedelics that you would suggest people not to use for this kind of thing?
1: Well, um, I mentioned 5-MeO-DMT. Um, that is a substance that if people are going to partake in, they should do, I believe with an experienced facilitator, but they should be very particular about the facilitator that they use. Mm -hmm. Um, there are some people serving that medicine who have abused people, who imprint on people, meaning I'm going to come out of that experience and, uh, whoever's in front of me, I'm, I'm being reborn after I take this substance. So whoever's in front of me is going to make a big impression on me. Your facilitator should sort of be out of your experience and letting you have it on your own. And be very careful about how it's served and what happens to you in the aftermath.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, You know, for just about any ceremony or any place where someone's going to serve this medicine, I hope that someone would vet the person serving sufficiently and find out how long they've been doing this, how they got trained, do they know first aid and CPR. Are they willing to be arrested if something happens to you and they have to call the police or an ambulance? <laughs> you know, um, what, what can they tell you about the substance? How much are they going to give you? As many questions you can possibly ask, every question you possibly mm-hmm. can. If someone doesn't want to answer those questions, you should probably move on to someone else. Hmm. And you should be very, very comfortable with
0: anyone who's going to give you a substance. Hmm. How about the substance is something, like for example. When I was a teenager, one of my favorite substances was angel dust, PCP. Oh my god! <laughs> and, <laughs> and and you know, I mean, I loved it as a kid, you know. But I and even now, like, like, I look back and I'm like, I wonder if that stuff really did cook part of my brain, though. You know what I mean? Like, like, I'm not sure. I'm I'm not sure if, if I think if I didn't do that substance, I would probably be a different person than i am now you know so i wonder like if a substance like that is something that maybe is not useful in this um category of a plant medicine you know
1: something that comes to mind is something called salvia Uh, it comes from plant salvia denora, but um it's a substance that i believe in most of the united states much of the united states is legal i think it is in california But there is salvia in a leaf form that you can chew, and then there's salvia um, concentrates that are like salvia times 10 or times 20. And there are a lot of stories and videos about this of people who just don't know where they are when they do this substance. Like someone walking through a window and not even realizing they did it. Mm -hmm. Falling off of a first floor floor, uh, balcony or something. So um, anything that alters you to the to the point that you don't even know what's going on, and you should be careful with, and definitely have some supervision around you. The substances that I see mo- most often are, you know, the two DMTs, N and DMT, 5 dmt ayahuasca, peyote, mescaline, LSD, psilocybin. There are a lot of different San Pedro cactus. Um, there are a lot of different varieties of psychedelics, but um, they're all pretty similar. They just Vary in sort of the flavor of what they have, uh, depending on the setting. They don't think it can be very different, but they get you to a similar, similar place most of the time, which is what you said: getting
0: some perspective on yourself or others mm-hmm. that you don't usually get. It's interesting that some are legal. You know, there's some psychedelics. I was doing a little bit of research on, like, to see you know which ones are legal, and I found one called I think it was called like blue lotus flower or something like that. I was like, wow, I've never heard of that. Have you worked with any of those or like mandrake? Um...
1: Yeah, blue lotus is um, not highly psychedelic. It's psychoactive, mm-hmm. and it's been around since you know they used it in Egypt. So there's a lot of talk of making some sort of wine or something out of blue lotus, and it's supposed to also have a very aphrodisiac-like effect. But it's not a strong psychoactive, mm-hmm. um, you know, like uh, psilocybin mushrooms or something. How
0: about mandrake? Mandrake, I don't know much about actually. I just found out about that one last night. I was watching a show, and the guy was talking about mandrake. I was like, I didn't know that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, is cannabis useful? Um,
2: yeah,
1: so I think the intention of intentional use of cannabis, you know, cannabis is to me um, is and can be psychedelic. There's a guy by the name of Daniel McQueen who runs an organization called Medicinal Mindfulness in Boulder, Colorado, mm-hmm. and he teaches people. Um, how to run what are called conscious cannabis circles. I've been to one of those that he facilitated, and it was one of the most powerful experiences of my life. But, you know, he has a book on using cannabis intentionally, and according to him, he says that cannabis, when used in in the correct way, can be as powerful as something like MDMA. Wow. And the thing about cannabis, too, is when you work with psychedelics, it seems that cannabis picks up a little bit of the quality of that psychedelic. Like there's a neural pathway that it understands now, Cannabis becomes much more powerful when you work with other psychedelic substances. They all take on a flavor of the psychedelic. So cannabis is not just cannabis to me anymore. Um, And it's not something that I just do socially because it's very powerful.
0: But yeah, cannabis
1: used intentionally can be very powerful and very productive.
0: It's also, from my understanding too, is it magnifies what you're experiencing. So if you're using a psychedelic and then add cannabis into the mix... It can magnify the experience. Oh, it'll potentiate it.
1: Um, Problem sometimes is that it'll potentiate it, but then you may be in a place where cognitively you're having a lot of realizations and things, and cannabis will just like blow you to the moon. (laughs) (laughs) Focus on anything. But yes, um, you know, a lot of these substances substantiate each other. Cannabis is something that definitely mixes well with a lot of psychedelics. You know, a lot of people like to. Well, some people do cannabis throughout the experience, but some people, when they're starting to wind down on a psychedelic experience, will smoke some cannabis and it takes you right back up. Hmm.
0: How, long, how long on average is the, is the psychedelic experience for people to, do, to use it in the integration therapy, and how many sessions do they need for it to be effective?
1: Uh, the number of sessions varies widely. It depends on the person, the work they have to do afterwards, what they're presenting with, you know, people often ask that question, you know, in a lot of the clinical trials, there are, you know, two or three sessions with therapy in between all of them, but outside of there, I've seen people have one experience and address something critical in their lives very effectively. Um, as far as the duration. You know, the DMTs are things that last 15 to 30 minutes. Um, Psilocybin mushrooms, MDMA, peyote, um, these things can last four to eight hours, four to six most of the time. Same thing for ayahuasca, about the same thing. LSD can last eight to 12 hours easily. Um, So it depends on the substance that you're taking.
0: Mm. Have you ever had anybody have a bad experience that come out worse than they were before? I have not
1: personally. That's definitely something that's happened. So people who are on certain medications, um, specifically like antipsychotics, and people with uh, a history of or family history of psychosis, um, borderline personality disorder, or schizophrenia, should, for the most part, steer clear of psychedelics. As far as borderline, there's a lot of studies around that. There is some question about people with uh, schizophrenia, but people who have family history or history of psychosis or schizophrenia are generally advised to stay away from psychedelics in general.
0: Should they be checked prior to doing this to make sure that they don't have it? Because I imagine there would be probably a lot of people walking around that might have mild schizophrenia and not even know it.
1: I don't know, but um, it, if someone doesn't know their history, it's not a bad idea to have a consultation with a therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist to
0: make sure. Hmm. But I wonder how you do that, though. Like, you go through to to psychologists and say, you know what, I, I want to make sure I don't have any underlying, you know, schizophrenia or, you know, this or that, so I can do a psychedelic, ex- do mushrooms or whatever, you know. Oh, and and all I all imagine, good. like, these therapists are like, what is going on? There
1: there are a lot of therapists now who actually do integration work themselves. For instance, if you go to maps.org, M-A-P-S.org, I'm listed on there, but there are also a lot of licensed therapists, um, licensed clinical social workers, psychologists, marriage and family therapists. There are a lot of them who are working with people who are working with psychedelics now who understand that experience. Yeah, if it's someone who's just going to pathologize
0: your experience, Mm -hmm. you probably should
1: find the therapist
0: So are these therapists that are working with it, even though it's still illegal? Are they concerned about losing their licenses? No, these are people who would be working for you before or after, which is legal. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the only person that's really at risk is the facilitator or the sitter. Yes. Do you think uh, these treatments will become legal? No, no, there's a
1: big emphasis right now on decriminalization, which is not legalization. Um, there's a lot of debate around what's best, the medical model, the legal model, or the decriminalization model. And the medical model, such as what's probably going to happen with MDMA, yeah, you can do MDMA if it's prescribed to you, if you have PTSD or a condition that's going to uh, warrant that. Prescription. If your psychiatrist is someone who's going to prescribe it to you, if you can get your insurance company to pay it, if you jump all those hoops, it's going to be fifteen to twenty thousand dollars for whoever's paying the bill. Really, treatment first comes out. Um, it's not cheap to have a lot of therapists and a lot of and a facility and insurance and all these things um, when something first starts off like that. But then it's available for people who are sick. I don't have the right to explore my own consciousness using MDMA. I'm in favor of cognitive liberty. Um, These drugs were made illegal under false pretenses. They were made Schedule 1, which means there is no uh, medical use for them, that they are harmful and they are addictive. None of those things are true for the standard psychedelics that most people work with. Those are all lies perpetrated by the government, to make these substances illegal. So there's no reason why I should not be able to take these substances myself and explore my own consciousness. Medical model doesn't let that happen. With legalization, we saw how they just decimated the cannabis industry in California, as soon as it's legal, the big boys who have a lot of money come in and buy a lot of little dispensaries and put all of them out of business. And there's a lot of crap in dispensaries. Now, I saw some studies saying something like 70 to 80% of the products that were bought in dispensaries don't have the levels of THC or CBD in them that were advertised. And you have stuff that's been sprayed with uh, inorganic compounds. There's a lot of crap being sold in cannabis dispensaries now because it's a profit-driven uh, industry. There's nothing wrong with profit, in my view. But when you legalize a substance like that, people get gobbled up. In the decriminalization model, um, You know the district, the district attorneys say, I'm not going to bother with this. That's going to the bottom of the pile. Now, that doesn't mean that they won't prosecute someone so I do have some concerns that for instance you know I'm a 60 year old white guy I can probably walk down the walk down the street with a pound of mushrooms in a backpack and no one's going to bother me (laughs) but if I'm a person of color and I have a little bit of mushrooms in a bag yeah, I need to be careful I get pulled over and searched because decriminalization doesn't mean that no one's going to be prosecuted someone can still be prosecuted and I'm not sure who's making that call and who they're making it for so there are some pitfalls in all of those models, but to me, the decriminalization model seems to be the most sensible right now because we don't have to legalize it and put the people through a bunch of hoops. And we don't medicalize it where it's only for people who are sick in some way or need
0: some sort of treatment. Interesting. I, I didn't. I wasn't aware like of the situation in California with the dispensaries. Yeah,
1: yeah it's pretty. I know people who were um, growing cannabis and making money when it was a medical card industry when you had to get a cannabis card, which anybody could get, let's face it, but as soon as it was just completely legal, all kinds of restrictions were put in place about what kind of space you had to have and what kind of, uh, you know, uh, laboratory and uh, what kind of licensing and what kind of inspections, and it made it impossible for people who have just very nice organic grows of good product cannabis to be able to compete with people who
0: are professional growers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just legalized it here where I'm at. You're in New York, right? No, Los Angeles. I'm oh, in Los Angeles. Why did I think you're in New York? Uh, so, so it's legal anyway, where you're that. at. How's that? So it's legal. In yes, it is.
2: There. Hmm.
0: Um, how about mushrooms? Like, I mean, it does seem like, like where, what place... Just legalized the mushrooms. Um, Ohio, Oregon, Oregon, did. Oregon yeah. yeah. So um, Oregon's going to be setting up treatment
1: centers where people who are not licensed therapists, however, who are trained and sanctioned by the state, will be able to help people have psychedelic journeys, even for spiritual or personal reasons. It's not just medical. Um, but in you know other places in the United States, there are a lot of places decriminalizing them. A lot of places are decriminalizing plant medicine, which, you know, usually doesn't include something like MDMA. But MDMA is uh, decriminalized in some places. But there are a lot of places decriminalizing plant medicine, including psilocybin and mushrooms.
0: Hmm. Well, I hope they do that here in New Jersey. Because <laughs> it could help a lot of people. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I, <clears throat> and... Um, what... It, it well, it just is it just good for psychological issues, or is there other issues that is also beneficial to for? Um, other issues like what? Oh, physical things. Let's like, say like pain. Like, would it be no. better to do like mushrooms for pain management rather than oxycodone?
1: Well, let's say. Well, I think most things are better than oxycodone, but um. Although I will say that opioids have helped a lot of people that just, I think, overprescribed and used for too long. Mm-hmm. But uh, there are a lot of studies, you know, there are some uh, some substances being studied for their anti-inflammatory qualities. Um, there's definitely something to something like pain management. You know, there's a study uh, showing that meditators don't especially feel less pain, but there was a graph of something that happened when there was a painful incident in people who had a very strong meditation practice tended to look like this and then a painful thing happened and then went down. People who didn't have a solid meditation practice and sort of anticipate the pain and then hang on to it afterwards, worrying about how much that hurt. So something like psychedelics can definitely help you get into a frame of mind where you reframe your relationship with things like pain or, um, yeah, you know, reframe your relationship with things like pain. And there are some substances like, uh, it's not psychedelic, but cambo. Are you familiar with this?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: There's a secretion from a tree frog in South America that um, people use by burning off the first layer of epidermis and putting on some of that secretion. Um, That immediately makes your face swell up. I'll come out just about sweat, everything that can come out of an orifice in your body comes out, including vomiting. It's strictly a physical response with no uh, psychoactive response. But it's very much something they use in the jungle to help purge out uh, illnesses, conditions, ill feelings and what they call panema or bad energy. Hmm. But this is being studied extensively um, because there are a lot of different compounds in there that might be very healing for people. Same thing's happening with psychedelics now. A lot of people are upset that psychedelics, certain compounds are being isolated from them because now I'm not taking the whole thing, but they're also trying to look at how does this help someone who can't have a psychedelic experience possibly. So things are being isolated, tested, and looked at. We're going to find out much more of that in the future.
0: How about gypsum weed? Is that useful? I don't know much about gypsum weed, actually. I don't either. But I know it grows all over up here. Yeah. But I don't know anybody who's tried it. Neither do I. I'm kind of afraid of it though. I mean from what I've read, because I know like too much of it could be poison. Yeah. Hmm. Um so how long do you think it will be um for this to become like a mainstream type of treatment for different conditions?
1: I mean, it's already all over the media, Forbes magazine, time. you you can't find a mainstream media outlet that hasn't covered psychedelics in some way. Um, I think there's a problem is that when they get tired of doing the glowing reviews, they're probably going to look into the problems with psychedelics, problems in the psychedelic community, whatever they can find. you know this this is the media. but I don't know how long it will be before this is mainstream. It's certainly becoming more mainstream. Just by judging by the people who come to me. I get people coming to me who um, are not in psychedelic communities, who would never have thought of taking these until they read some of these things about how effective they are at helping people who may be stuck in some mm-hmm. So that's very hard to say um, because even when some things, you know, there can be mass decriminalization, it's still not legal. So um, it's not like you can go into a store and buy it. I don't know when, if ever, that will happen. Sure, it will at some point. I just don't know when.
0: Do psychedelics make people more empathic? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, they
1: have the power to do that. But mm-hmm. I said earlier, there are groups of white supremacists and racists who take psychedelics and believe that you know the medicine told them that they have to purify the earth for the white people. So they don't necessarily help. Um,
0: they don't change people's minds if they don't want to change in some way. Once the person has completed the integration therapy, are are the results long-term? Like, does it last throughout the remainder of that person's life? Or or, or do they have to sometimes come back, you know, 10 years later and be like, "Eh, you know what, this issue's back.
1: You know, um,
0: it depends on the person and what they're working on and what work they do in the aftermath.
1: It certainly can be something that's life changing and stays with you for the rest of your life, but that depends on what you do in the aftermath um, most of the time. There are often times when you have an experience and it will just make an impression on you, and from then on, you think differently about things. There was a documentary I saw once, and it had to do with one of these studies where um, people with end of life anxiety um, were studied and um, did psilocybin mushrooms.
0: I was just going to uh, ask you about done. that.
1: Yeah. So I'll never forget this part with a woman who said, she basically said, I'm ruining my life. You know, I've got like six months to live and I'm ruining my life because I'm so anxious. I'm snapping at my kids and Mm -hmm. fighting with my husband and I don't have much time left. And then they showed her laying down on the couch, putting on the ice shades and the headphones. And the next scene was her son giving her uh, a eulogy. He said, after that experience, she treasured every moment of her life right up until the last one.
0: Yeah, I I was just watching something a couple days ago also about using psychedelics for people that are end of life and gets rid of the fear of dying and then are able to enjoy the last six months or year of their life. And that is fantastic. That is a gift. That is a really gift, not just to the person, but for the whole family.
1: Listen, I have a lot of cautions around people being overly optimistic about what will happen after a psychedelic journey because, um, you know, The only ingredient you need for disappointment is an expectation. (laughs) That's true. We need to temper those, but psychedelics can absolutely change someone's life. Wow. It can absolutely give you, like you said, they can let you look at yourself from outside yourself, which is a very difficult thing to do. Hmm. They can show you things about yourself and others, about the world, life, uh, spiritual, spirituality that just, um, you probably wouldn't see any other way.
0: And they've been used for thousands, thousands For lo- For long as people have been walking around. there been some
1: time. sort of plant medicine or visionary dream, visionary medicine or something that's used in societies.
0: Yeah. You know, again, it was like sort of off topic from what you do too, do, but, you know, I was watching something also about the, um, their influence on religions and mythologies and philosophy. Mm. Like, like, in all this ancient, you know, sciences and, and, and things, psychedelics were there. They were being used for, for all of that back then, you know? You know, uh, when uh, these substances
1: were made, Schedule 1, there was a study going on where um, the people who put the study together asked for professionals like architects and engineers and people like this who had been trying to solve a problem for a long time to participate in the study. Um, they came in, and um, I believe they're using LSD, and they asked them to work on the problem they've been working on. The vast majority of them solved the problem. <laughs> so it's like, holy shit, this can actually help us solve the problems of the world when used in a particular way. The day after that, they got the letter telling them that, you know, sorry, your your study's gone now. You no longer have approval from the government. This is now illegal.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I had a guest on recently, I had him on twice actually, um, Stephen Gray, and he has a book called How so- How Psychedelics Can Help Save the World. Yeah. All about that particular topic. Yeah. Did I miss anything? Is there anything I, I didn't miss? You're very thorough. <laughs> <laughs> um, So before we wrap it up though, where's the best place for my listeners to reach you?
1: Um, you can find me at psychedelicintegrationspecialist.com dot You can look me up on Facebook. I'm Greg Lawrence on Facebook. Send a friend request. Always happy to connect with people. And on uh, Instagram, I'm psychedelic underscore integration.
0: All right. I'll put those links in notes of this episode. Any plans for a book?
1: A uh, book? No, I don't have plans
0: for actually. Hmm. You can team up with your wife to write a book. True. Yeah. I don't know if my listeners know, but I, I recently found out about you through your, through your wife, Catherine. Yeah, and uh, she's got books on um, tantric dating, mating, and relating. Yes, <laughs> she was a and great guide guest. to spiritual LA. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for being on. It was a pleasure to have you. You're, you're welcome back anytime. Or maybe we could do something with you and your wife. That could be pretty interesting too. Absolutely. And it was a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. And uh, hang on for one moment, and I'm just going to play the outro. All right.
2: Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or message him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. You can also buy the book, "Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon. and It will change your life. Because remember, everything that it says was first imagined. If you loved what you listened to today, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Again... You listen to everything imaginable with Gary Cacciolio.